0: And we'll get started. Welcome to all of those of you who are listening on Mike Springston FFC Podcast and Facebook. Tonight we're going into part two of the Triangle of Love. And I know that you will enjoy what we've got prepared. Hello, Lorraine. Uh, what we've got prepared for you tonight as we continue to study the triangle of love. Our text tonight comes from Isaiah 53:12. So let's read our text and then have a word of prayer. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressor, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Father, open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear and our heart, that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us, and then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Now, Father, we ask you to have Jesus speak to us through the Holy Spirit, show us what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate, and we'll receive it and release it to your people, and we'll be transformed because of it. We ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Hi, James. Good to see you, uh, Brother Jim. And um, we hope everything is well with you all in the great state. So we're beginning tonight to say these words. The Godhead certainly did something about what was going on as they looked down, according to Hebrews 9, and were pained by what was happening. It took somewhere around 4,000 years for all of the prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus to be completed, and over 300 prophecies identified the coming of a Savior. Love looked on for all of these years and suffered to see the actions of men. The angels, according to Hebrews 2.6, asked, "'Who exactly is man?' And why are you mindful of him? In effect, the angels were protesting and in effect said, why would that plight of man bother you, God? And why would he be anything that you would consider needful to think about? In Hebrews chapter two, verse seven and eight, why love thought of us as it did is told. Thou madest man him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not every, not yet all things put under him. So why did it pain God with how man had turned to be such an evil and ignorant entity, how man had decided to be deceived and to take on the nature of the adversary. Why in the world, I'm sure the Godhead would say, would man determine to do so? He had given man glory of which we know that we saw in Jesus Christ. He had honored man with dominion over the works of his own hands. We saw that in Adam. Everything in the earth now was in control of man and nothing was left out of their control. Now consider this, love looked at man and knew that man had the control of his creation. Man had power to develop or allow to die the works of God's hands. Man had been given a power that was undeniable and hence irresistible. The only thing man lacked was the power to take control of the devil. Love saw the problem. Now, the problem was not in he who created man. The problem was not in the creation that God had made. And it was not in the design of man. It was in the power of the common things that the devil held over, the very things that God had given man dominion over. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, might, reverence, and judgment had all fallen, they had all fallen and come under the curse. So man was now operating out of those seven areas that we know as the spirits of God in a fallen state. The design of man was not wrong. The creation of man was not wrong. The creator was not wrong. What man was doing, following, whom they had been uh, deceived into Uh, following after. Remember this morning I talked about the messages of ministries that operates in the message of trickery. And so man had been tricked into becoming a common thing. Man had been tricked into thinking commonly. Man had been tricked into doing commonly. And in so doing, God looked down and said, uh, my creation needs a redeemer, and is redeemable. God had been watching the creation do what it did from the foundation of the world, knowing that there was a remedy. God, I'm sure, would ask, why would man choose death over life? How could they choose this shiny thing over the real thing? Now, this had to be painful, but there was one way for the pain to be stopped. Man required a redeemer who would make a way for them to be brought out of sin once and for all, as you heard us speak this morning in our morning message. So Jesus fulfills prophecy and comes to accomplish the end of the pain of man's rebellion. Now here we're about to see Jesus go to the cross, and that cross, of course, we know is a place of pain and agony. But now man, God had watched this from the foundation of the world. But there was coming a three-day span where everything about that pain and that agony would be wrapped in one man's sacrifice. In one 24-hour space, sin was defeated. In a 72-hour span of time, the adversary was disarmed and destroyed and the curse was deleted for those who would believe. The source of all pain since the foundation of the world was brought under total control by the obedience of a Redeemer in one 72-hour period. The question, of course, is why did it take 4,000 years? Well, God, my friends, does not operate on the same time clock we do. The Jews and the Gentiles don't operate even from the same calendar. But why did it take so long? God had produced the promise of the prophecy as early as Genesis chapter 3. Therefore, a people had to be established to produce the seed. Those people became engaged with things that they should not have. So God had to establish a bloodline that would be the perfect blood course for a Savior to come through. It is in the genealogies that we locate the ones from whom the God had established as those through whom would flow and come the Son. From Abraham to David, there was a royal lineage that would be able to generate a king. From Solomon to Joseph, the lineage was extremely acceptable. Then on Mary's side, the lineage was traced directly back to Adam, who was the son of God who was produced in the divine image and whose soul was breathed upon to become a living soul. So from Abraham's side, there came a people. They were a people of covenant who lived under the promise of God's provision and God's protection. From Adam's side, there was the inner image and the breath of life that man made man a living soul which was produced for the development of man. Then there was the lesson of the purpose of the blood. The lesson had to be learned by those who would live under the covenant relationship that was in both the Old and the New Testament. Then there was the identification of the position of a king who would lead us, such as David and Solomon. Hello, Charles, Logan, and Mike uh, uh, Joey. From there, the prophets declared his coming and opened the path for the coming of the Messiah. God had time to plan when man would have both the covenant and their heart ready to receive the work of his son. Then a new covenant is exposed. So what exactly is this new covenant of love? It's in my text from John chapter 3 today, For God so loved. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of the story of love. It is the love of God that he provided to man by the works and replications of Jesus Christ. It's described to us in Hebrews chapter 8 and defined for us in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22. Look there with me. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me, and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him, Christ Jesus, was yea. The covenant of love is yes to the believer who follows the acts and replications of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. I heard a man say today that we are full of the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is true, but we do not come to the complete work of the Holy Spirit until we come into the work of Jesus Christ as man and the Godhead bodily. So we need to understand the Holy Spirit is replicating the works of Jesus and is replicating those works through six steps. Those six steps start from the cross and end in the Godhead. They all have a correlation to salvation, healing, preservation, deliverance, safety, soundness, and wholeness, and they all operate through the four phases of grace. Now, stay with me on all of this because we're going to show it to you in depth as we go through this study on the triangle of grace. The covenant of love is yes to the believer who follows the acts and replications of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, he does not exclude anyone from the things to which Jesus has provided for them. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, Under the glory of God by us. There is not one act of Jesus that cannot and will not be replicated into the spirit and soul of a person who will pursue These places to which, or these portions of which, the work or acts of Jesus has been made accepted. These places, every one of them, are yes and so be it to us. And they glorify God's grand design for the salvation of man as we come through each each action and replication. They are the yes and man of grace, my friend. I'll show it to you. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God. This is the grand design of God for us, my friend. He establishes the family of believers and anoints us through this love covenant. It is the anointing that comes from the Godhead that allows what Jesus Christ has provided us with, to be replicated in us. What a wonderful thing. Verse 22. Now who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Notice this. Because in this verse we identify how he replicates us and replicates in us the actions of Jesus. Look at it. He sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. There is how he replicates the acts of Jesus Christ and how he secures us, stamps us, preserves us, all done through the operation of the Spirit. As we can see, at the core of all of this is the love of God. Now look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 9 through 12, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. This covenant of love is deeper than the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, or the Davidic covenant, because it is one that is built on the core of love and developed. "...by the three sides that begin with blood, followed by grace and faith. It is centered on the love of God for the believer who enters into this covenant by confession and profession of belief in the accomplished works or actions of Jesus Christ." Verse 11, "...and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest." The covenant of love is established in the inner man, in the spirit of man, and the soul of the believer. Therefore, the covenant of love is a covenant of communication between the Godhead and the individual personally, through spirit-to-spirit communication, upon believing on Jesus Christ and reconnecting with him in the spirit and soul, the Godhead will cause that believer "...to know him intimately. This is established both for the small and the great, the rich and the poor. And all will know him, he said." in their spirit and in their soul. Love has established this connection because Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. Of course, the genesis of this love connection is found in the New Testament in John 3.16. This connection comes from the personality of God and is directed to the ones who are reconnected to him through the process designed from the blood, grace, and faith. Verse 10, for this is the covenant. Now watch this, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. The covenant is spoken as being to Israel is a covenant that alters the picture that we saw in verse 9. Israel in verse 9 was being led by the hand. Upon entering this covenant, however, Israel will walk as the Gentiles walk, and that will be a walk of faith, not sight. You can see how this covenant of love functions in verse 10. It'll be a covenant of the internal. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Here we see the covenant that is an inner covenant of both the spirit and the soul. It will be from here that... The one who is love becomes love in our inner man. From here he will be the God who is worshipped in complete spirit and truth. And we will be his people who love him because he first loved us. From his love he will add insight, concepts, and ideas that will lead us, guide us, and show us great things to come. We will operate from an open heaven of yes, I'm going to show you how that works through the four phases of grace. Stay with me. With regard to the promise of God, we get into this condition by using the gifts that he has provided for us. Verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is an act of the Godhead towards those who have appropriated his love effectively. God will be gracious to forget who and what you used to be. Why? Because you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, so you meet his standard of righteousness. You were made that way. How did that occur? Well, that occurred from the first phase of grace. Everything that happens from the cross to the tomb, into the deliverance, all comes from what he has made you to be. He's given you favor and unconditionally. So by making you, by the force of the actions of Jesus Christ and the replications of the Holy Spirit, he has given you divine favor. Now he has made you something that you could not be. The first phase of grace is expressed and exposed so beautifully in what has happened at the cross, in the tomb, and in the deliverance or the resurrection. Now you have come into grace. How did you get there? You believed your way in. You believed your way into that phase of grace. You accepted what Jesus did. You confessed it and you professed it and believed and favor what you were made according to uh St. Corinthians chapter uh, 5 verse 20 and 21. What you were made to be from that favor was righteous. Glory to God, you have now found how grace has connected with these first three works and these first three elements of salvation in favor to make you something that you were not before. Now we're going to get into in the future here how grace expresses itself in the three works of the heavenly domain that Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, because you've been remade the righteousness of God by favor, by what Jesus has done, and what he made you, you now become clothed in righteousness. Because of the standards that is in Christ Jesus, all of the sin and the in-depth wickedness, including lawlessness, is forgotten. You're delivered from it. When he sees you in the light of this covenant, he sees Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, who by the grace of favor has made you on an equal plane to be righteous with him. What he did made you to be as he is. He's righteous, and so are we. Now, what happens if we just stay in the cross? What happens if we just struggle with sin? What happens if we never understand that in the, the plan of redemption, uh, the tomb is the place where we die to the curse of the flesh? And the resurrection is the place where we dis- extinguish the old sin nature and begin to walk in the clothing of righteousness. What happens if we don't go there? Well, my friend. We live in the struggle. We continue in the struggle. What is the struggle? With your flesh, with your sin nature. You have to go where Jesus went. You have to walk where the replications of the Holy Spirit can bring and place in you, replicate in you what Jesus Christ did at the places of which he went. Pick up your cross, man, woman, and follow him. Follow him. Follow him every step of the way. Let the blood, and I'm going to teach more on that in the coming days. The blood is the power of the cross. Glory to God. It is the most powerful thing, material, liquid the world has ever known. Why? Because whenever that blood strikes your heart, hallelujah, your heart changes. You go out of sin. You die to yourself. You're delivered from your old nature. Don't let anyone tell you that you can accept Christ and be your old self. You can't be. The blood is too powerful for that. I'll show it to you more as we come. You don't want to miss it. It is a dynamic message that our world does not want to hear today. Because we want to hear all about grace. Grace. But we do not want to hear about the explosiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ where sin is concerned, where your sin nature is concerned, where the curse is concerned. We don't want to hear that. What we want to hear is that we're saved and everybody's happy and they're rejoicing in heaven. My friends, if you stay at the cross and you do not pursue where Jesus Christ told you to go and where he went, and where the Holy Spirit is working to replicate what happened in him, in you, which is exactly what Paul Paul is telling us in Galatians 2.20. If you're not replicating that, if you're not living in that, then, my friend, you need to ask yourself the question of have I really been born again by the blood of the Lamb? Now, the Bible says that they overcame him By the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Have you really got a testimony of being saved? Because if you do, the power in the blood is going to be so dynamic and explosive in you that you're going to see yourself want to do what Paul taught. Now, we meet a standard now of righteousness when we follow him. When he sees you in light of that covenant standard, he sees you in the light of righteousness. Verse 13, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made first the old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Now watch this. The old ways of God are vanished. Now, you're going to see them come back one of these days soon when the Jews begin to open up that temple and go back into blood sacrifice. You're going to see that. Somebody said that the the Jews could have the temple rebuilt in a four-hour time span. We know that four red heifers showed up in Israel in preparation for this uh, ongoing maneuver of animal sacrifice. These things are on us now, but remember, the old mechanism has passed away. Let's bring into clear focus now so we can understand what's being said. When the covenant of love is enacted, the Old Testament will no longer be enforced or even necessary. Why? Because there is a better and more complete and more perfect covenant that's been brought forward. He no longer leads us by the hand as an unwilling people. He leads us by acceptance of what's been established in the eternal economy as being the standard of operation for his relationship to the believer. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Of course, this standard of relationship begins with righteousness. Then it goes into worship, praise, and honor. Then it goes on over into his lordship. Then it goes into his ability to communicate to us as the from the uh, uh, as the man in the Godhead bodily. Look at this now, and uh, as it relates to your new understanding, First Corinthians thirteen eight through ten. Charity never faileth. The covenant of love will never fail. Why? Because it's the new covenant that's done away with the old. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, uh, it shall vanish away. Love is the driving factor behind everything that is now in operation. The prophecies that are not devised in the covenant of love will pass away. The tongues that are not devised in the covenant of love love will pass away. The knowledge that has not been achieved or that has been achieved outside the covenant of love, that's going to pass away. Love will prophesy. Love will use tongues and bring knowledge that will far exceed anything that ever came before it. Why? Because of the culminating position from which the covenant is functioning. Jesus Christ has gone through the portions and the measures, according to Hebrews 4 and 7, of the plan of salvation to complete the requirements for love to be the total provision of the relationship between God and man. So the covenant love never fails. Things that man are involved with, they may fail. But the covenant of love never fails. Now, what happened to expose the covenant of love to us? Jesus died on the cross. Jesus went to the tomb. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jesus sprinkled blood on the vessels of ministry as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, overseeing his own sacrifice. Jesus became Lord. Jesus became the man in the Godhead bodily. Love, the covenant of love now can never fail. It'll never fail. Things that were done before, well, they could fail. But things that have been done after it, will never fail. They will never cease. They will never stop. They will never stop ongoing. Why? Because from each of these six positions, which is also attached to grace and salvation, God continues to communicate to his people. God continues to bring to his people the love of this new covenant, the function of this new covenant, And I told you this morning, and if I didn't, I don't want to go into all of it now, but from his position as high priest, his position as Lord, and his position as the man in the Godhead are all being operated out of the covenant of love, all of them. So whenever he revealed and released the Holy Spirit into the earth, he released it out of the covenant of love. None of that has passed away. None of the works of it has passed away. None of the teaching of Paul has passed away. All under the covenant of love. Why is that important, my friend? That makes them accessible. How are they accessible? By grace, through faith. But the inroad, the foundation of this covenant of love is the blood. We cannot circumvent. We cannot stop. We cannot not believe. We cannot not come through. The blood, the blood is the avenue of access that brings us in to this wonderful covenant that cannot fail. Now think about that, my friend, glory to God. I feel that in my spirit, this covenant of love cannot fail. What Jesus has accomplished cannot fail. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, verse 9, we were all operating in a partial portion until Jesus When Jesus came, everything changed. Whenever he died and went to heaven and came back down, and accessed man into the Holy Spirit, and went back, told them about it, and went back to reveal it, everything changed. Now, we always attempted to tell the story through prophecy of which we did not truly have the full understanding of the beginning from the end. So we were operating at a deficit until we came through the works and replications of Jesus Christ from the covenant of love. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Well, the perfect is come. The covenant of love has come. Then the perfect one came and opened the door to the covenant of love. Glory to God. Now the old ways, thoughts, and understandings have all been swallowed up in the reality of the acts and replications of what has been done for us and to us by the perfect act of love as transmitted from the covenant of love. We no longer expose a secret. Nothing is now hidden to us the mystery is no longer hidden from us. It is that Christ, my friend, glory to God is in you, and he is our hope of glory. The covenant of love is so easily defined and found and walked in. The standard of eternal operation is the standard that flourishes in the economy of God due to the character and nature of love and the covenant of love. It is the core of his relationship to the believer, and it was the purpose for which God sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. Jesus was the second Adam who died once and for all to establish the covenant of love that was made by God as the principle into which any man can come and be established in the works and replications that began with his death. Love is the reason. Jesus is the cause and the transformed man is the result of the divine design of God that was set forth in this new covenant. Now with this new covenant, there must be a point of entry. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant, when Abraham asked the question, how shall I know? We're going to pick up there the next time as we continue to look into the triangle of love. It's transforming. Father, I praise you today for all that you're doing. Open our eyes that we may see and our ears that we may hear and our heart that we may understand. Then change us, God, so that we can live in this triangle of love, in this great covenant, and prosper in peace, in joy, in the spirit of truth, and in the glory that is in Jesus Christ. For us, to us all from the covenant of love. We ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. I saw Susie and I saw Betty and Charles and Joey and so many more. I pray that God's word blesses you and I want you out there, in the FFC family, Facebook media family, to be blessed this week. We will not have Wednesday night at church, but we'll be back on Sunday morning and we'll pick this up right here teaching on the triangle of love. May God bless you, and may there be a wonderful, happy, peaceful Thanksgiving in each and every home. God bless you until we speak again. God bless you, my friends. Find him as Lord. There he'll mediate this great covenant to you. Find him as the man in the Godhead, and he'll speak to you and show you great, mighty things to come. May God bless you until we speak again.